This morning, what I wanted to do unrehearsed, but I'm not able to do, um, Paulina and Nichols, I know her as Paulina, Paul and Nichols had a little baby, and uh, uh, this is like day nine or ten, and so Philip and David, the little Nichols that sit up here on the front, that come and give me a hug every Sunday morning, are home with mom. What I wanted to do is I wanted to get Philip because he's a little bit older, and I wanted to walk him around up here, him holding my hand, and he would just talk with me. That's just who he is as an illustration. Well, we didn't get to do that because Philip is at home. And so I want you to think about, especially uh, you that are moms and dads or grandmas or grandpas, or you're an older teenager, uh, because you, if you have younger brothers and sisters, I want you to think about the last time you walked somewhere and had a small child reach their hand up to grab a hold of your hand, and you just guided them wherever it was that you were going. If you were crossing a street and they wanted to rush out into the street, you squeeze their hand a little bit and pull back, and they just stay right with you. If you want to go to the left, you turn to the left, and they just follow you where you are. I wanted that to illustrate, to begin to illustrate for us, that Noah walked with God. And that's the picture that I have in my mind of Noah, uh, a preacher of righteousness, Peter says, and yet he walked with his God. He was the only one of all of the people in the world at that particular time that was characterized as walking with God. What a picture for us. And so this morning as we talk uh, and work our way through uh, Genesis 6, We're really not going to cover a lot of passage. What I want us to do is talk about that phrase, walking with God. And I hope that it causes you to ask yourself, would God characterize me as someone who walks with him? Do I have my hand in my creator's hand and I follow him wherever it is that he wants me to go? Now, I don't want to liken us unto Noah. I'll say that in a minute because we're not. Our situation's different. We're different. But God wants us to walk with him. And so I hope that'll be the challenge of this morning. To most people, Noah is nothing more than a fairy tale, a story. And that would be true in some churches as well, unfortunately. A story that maybe emphasizes the difference between good and evil. But he's not presented as a fictitious character in Scripture. 1 Chronicles 1 gives us a chronology from Adam forward, including Noah, as does Genesis 5 up to Noah. Luke chapter 3 does the same. Peter mentions Noah twice, once in 1 Peter 3, once in 2 Peter chapter 5. Jesus used Noah as an illustration to drive home a teaching point of the end times in Matthew 24, a parallel passage would be Luke verse 7, chapter 17. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 listed Noah as a great man of faith. I wanted us to read an Ezekiel passage that mentions Noah because it's unique. Um, this is Ezekiel 14. The word of the Lord came again to me saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord. If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they empty it, 
make it desolate that no man may pass through because of the beast. Even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered and the land would be destroyed. And he says more. If I bring a sword on the land and say, sword, go through the land, and I cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only they themselves would be delivered. If I send pestilence into the land, pour out my fury on it in blood, and cut off from, from it man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would, neither, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. Ezekiel chapter 14 emphasizes the dedication that Noah and Daniel and Job had, but it also emphasizes that we stand before the Lord individually. We don't stand before the Lord in a family name, even though our family might say that we let Jesus reign in our home. When it comes down to judgment, we will stand individually. It won't be husband and wife. It won't be mom and dad and the kids. Um, it, would be, it would be each of us individually. It reminds me of John 14, where Jesus said, as many as received, or John wrote, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that would be true of Noah, it would be true of Daniel, it would be true of Job. I hope it's true of you as well, that you've been born of God. It's just absolutely critical, the most important thing that happens in all of life. And you can call upon the name of the Lord and believe in Him and repent and pursue God and, and cry out for His mercy. Um, even now, doesn't have to wait till the end of a worship service. Noah lived on an earth at a time when there, were even, when there was even more evil on the earth than what we experience today. I don't mean to say something negative. Yes, I do. I'm going to say something negative uh, because Scripture says something negative. It's going to get worse. All right. Second um, Thessalonians chapter two verse seven says, "For the mystery of lawlessness." This was in Paul's day. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. That would be the Spirit of God. Daniel 9 lists six spiritual dynamics that will happen when the restrainer is taken out of the way during Daniel's 70th week. These are the sixth. The sixth. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Don't fool yourself into thinking these have all happened yet. To seal both vision and prophet and to anoint the most holy place. Jeremiah chapter 30 called this the time of Jacob's trouble, a time that was absolutely unparalleled. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 refers to it as a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. And nations began, and we'll see that in a few weeks in Genesis chapter 10, when there was a division of the land and nations began to happen. But future judgment is not going to be a flood. God said as much, and He gave a sign, and that would be the original rainbow. It wouldn't be the rainbow of 2023. It would be God's original rainbow that He hangs in the sky, and that's the sign that He gave that He will not judge the world again through flood. He will judge, um, and it's going to get worse. Noah lived at a time when evil was so bad on the earth that God said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, 
man and animal and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. Genesis chapter 6, verse 7. Verse 8 says, But Noah found favor, or he found grace, dependent upon your translation. The word means uh, similar, in the eyes of the Lord. And we noted the reasons given for, um, for several, ver- for, we noted the reasons given um, for the evil and the reason of Genesis 6 uh, in a few verses. And let me just read some phrases. We read these last week. The wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. The earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. The earth is filled with violence. During these evil days, verse 8 says that God graced Noah and he found favor. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah isn't the only one who has found grace in the eyes of the Lord or favor, though he's unique in his situation in his time. Um, he was the only one on, on the planet Earth that found that at that time. Listen to some other examples of Moses It's said, I know you by name, you have also found grace in my sight, Exodus chapter 33. Again to Moses, God would say, I will also do the things that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. That is how intimate God is. He knows Jerry's name today. He knows your name as his child as well. And, and Noah, excuse me, Moses found grace in the eyes of the Lord as well. David, while the word favor or grace isn't used, David was smiled upon by God as well. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8 and 9 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name like the name of great men who are on the earth. That's favor with God. That's what God did for David. And it began as a teenager when he stood up by faith, representing his Lord to Goliath. And I don't know if you remember, but we talked about how tall Goliath was, a teenage boy that was willing to do that. In, in the courage of the Lord. Abraham, Isaiah wrote uh, this with God speaking, but you Israel are my servant, Jacob whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Can you imagine God referring to you by name and being called his friend? That's who he is. That's how intimate he is with us. He desires that intense of a relationship. We could find other examples, but the favor of God being upon Noah was clearly remarkable during an evil day in the land when everyone else would be destroyed. You might wonder, what if Noah wouldn't have found favor in the Lord? Then all living flesh, including Noah and his wife and his sons and his daughters and the animals that God brought to the ark would have been destroyed as well. But in God-like fashion, at just the right moment, just the right time, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord because nothing is impossible with God. And it's not even a virgin birth at just the right time. It would be interesting to read Scripture and see how many situations that God showed up in at just the right time. That's who He is. That's what He does. That's His otherliness, His holiness. Of Noah, it said, he found favor, he was a righteous man, he was blameless in his generation, that doesn't mean sinless, he was complete, he was sincere, he was entire, he had integrity, he also needed mercy and grace. 
Um, he it was blameless in his generation. He walked with God. God communicated with Noah. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. Later he would say, Noah, make an ark for yourself. God made a covenant with Noah in verse 18. He did all that the Lord commanded Noah. Uh, it did all that the Lord commanded in verse 22, likely specifically in, in, in relation to the ark that was, the, the details of the ark that he was given to build. He did all that the Lord commanded. In the ark adventure, which we went to this last summer, everything is presented as pretty perfect for Mr. and Mrs. Noah of the ark. I'm guessing that there were some times of frustration. The guy was married, okay? She was married to him. Could you imagine being married to Mr. Noah, okay? He had three boys. They would have been teenagers at some point, all right? And so I'm guessing there were some frustrations. He had been ridiculed for making an ark. It hadn't even rained, but obedience paid off. The animals probably stunk, um, they would create, that would create a little bit of stress. As a young boy, I would go to my grandmother's. My grandmother had a chicken house, and she had in this chicken house 2,000 caged chickens um, for eggs. And every now and then, we had to clean out the chicken pits. It was nasty. Could you imagine a closed boat full of animals and all of the manure that they would produce? Okay, so there would be some times of stress. Maybe Mrs. Noah wasn't always as well kept as what they presented her to be on the ark. And maybe Mr. Noah had some difficult days as well. We know afterwards, and this is a little bit of a, a blight on Noah's testimony. Afterwards, in chapter 9, verse 20, Noah began to be a man of the soil. He planted, he gardened, he planted a vineyard, he drank of the wine, became drunk, lay uncovered in his tent. He ends up cursing one of his sons. So not everything was perfect with Noah. And yet he found favor and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. His wasn't a life without difficulties. But his characteristic, what God allowed Scripture to say of him, is that he walked with God. He put his hand up, if you will, in the Lord's hand. And wherever God would lead him, that's where he would go. Go build me an ark. What's an ark? Okay? And yet he did that. He was characterized as walking with God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says, Noah became an heir of righteousness. Why? Because he built an ark? Because of what he did? No, because it's according to faith. And so Noah had a testimony of believing the Lord. He heard from the Lord, and then he responded in obedient faith to the Lord. And his faith caused him to do what he did. It wasn't that he did what he did, and so God gave him faith. His faith caused him to do what he did, which was be obedient to the Lord. He believed God, and he acted upon that belief. God isn't walking with Noah the way he walked with Adam in the garden. God, in the cool of the evening, would go and walk with Adam, and they would talk. We know that story. He isn't doing that with this particular situation. With Adam, it's explained. With Noah, not as much. Um, we don't really know some of the details, and yet he was characterized as walking with the Lord. It was back in chapter 4, verse 26, that we learned that Adam and Eve had Seth, and Seth had Enoch, and it was at that time that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so prayer and believing God, and yet God communicating with Noah in such a way that it was very clear was part of that dynamic, and yet there must have been some calling upon the name of the Lord. 
I don't want to liken us to Noah. He was extremely unique, obviously, but he was a man, just like you and I, human being. He was like that. He was unique in his day. It was a unique situation. What I hope and have prayed for this morning is that God would challenge each one of us with Noah's walk. Noah walked with God. Would God say to you, you walk with me. Is your hand in my hand? Do I have to ease? Can I easily guide you wherever it is that I want you to go? Or am I grabbing a hold of you and pulling you back so you don't run into the street and so you don't put your finger in the, in the outlet and things of that nature? I hope that Noah's walk with the Lord can challenge us. The testimony of God's word about Noah is his walk with God, his accompanying God, his journeying with God, completely contrary to everyone else in that, in, in that day, and it was a walk of faith. Like Abraham, a soldier uh, on a journey looking for a city whose designer and builder is God, was Noah who was willing to do whatever it was that the Lord told him to do, no matter how ridiculous it sounded. And that's what he did. Noah's great-great-grandpa Enoch was also characterized as one who walked with God, Noah's dad was Lamech. Lamech's dad was Methuselah. Methuselah uh, and his dad was Enoch. And, it, and of Enoch, it was said in Genesis chapter 5, verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah uh, 300 years. That's a pretty consistent walk with the Lord, 300-year track record. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch, had, Enoch was 65 when he had Methuselah. Methuselah was 187 when he had Lamech. Lamech was 182 when he had Noah. That means Noah would not have known Enoch. And yet great-great-grandpa Enoch walked with God, and then just poof, he was gone. All right? Noah would not have known Enoch. When Noah was born, great-great-grandpa Enoch would have died, give or take, 69 years earlier. It depends on when in the year they're born. Um, Adam would have died just 126 years earlier. But I'm guessing when someone walks with God and then disappears, just disappears from the planet the very first time ever, I'm guessing that his son Methuselah and Methuselah's son uh, uh, Lamech would have talked about that day when dad and grandpa just wasn't. He was living life, walking with God, and then God just took him. And don't hear me say that Noah walking with the Lord was a will of the flesh because great-great-grandpa did that, but great-great-grandpa very likely had an influence in Noah's life and the testimony that he had of walking with the Lord. Clearly, Noah needed God's favor and grace and mercy in his life. He was a descendant of Abraham, and, and we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and Noah would fit in that camp just like you and I do as well. But God favored him. And he graced him. Perhaps in some way, great-great-grandpa's life got Noah's attention with his incredibly godly example. And I say that to encourage the grandmas and grandpas that are here today. You live for Jesus, and you talk with... And you talk with your grandkids and your great-grandkids about the Lord because you don't know what God might use from your life and your testimony in their life. And they might not get it anywhere else. And who knows if 
Enoch's testimony influenced Noah. Yes, John 1.13 tells us we must be born of God. It's not of flesh. It's not of blood. But who knows how God will use your witness in their life. We pray for it, grandmas and grandpas, don't we? All the time. Pray for our kids. We pray for our grandkids. Pray for our great-grandkids. And we're not stopping. We're not going to stop. And so you live for the Lord and see what God might do. I have prayed that Noah's example of walking with God will encourage you as a believer and call you to a high spiritual standard. Noah was mentioned among the three in Ezekiel 14, I believe it was, 12 or 14. Noah and Daniel and Job. That's a pretty significant testimony when God says of these three, their righteousness is what's going to save them. It doesn't filter out into anybody else, but Noah and Daniel and Job were that significant in their devotion to him. Would God say of you, would God say of Jerry, that one? Yes, that one needs my grace, but they walk with me. The testimony that I will give of them is they walk with me. They're submissive to me. My hand is in their hand. They're looking for the direction of their life from me. Is that what he would say of you and I? Are there hurdles in our spiritual journey? Of course there are. I'm preaching a message on walking with God and had a difficult time this week walking with God. And yet his spirit was there convicting and encouraging when I needed that and comforting as well. And so there are hurdles. But listen, justifying in my mind or in my heart why I don't walk with God or why I don't understand his word or why I don't seek to grow in understanding it or why I don't know who the Holy Spirit is who resides in me or how he leads me or how he teaches me. Hear this. It's unacceptable. It's not acceptable. It is by grace. It is by mercy. And yet we need to engage our will to cooperate with what God is doing in our heart and in our life so that the testimony that He might speak of us is that we walk with Him as well. Humility, a spiritual hunger, a repentant heart. Don't jump over repentance. A repentant heart, a clinging to Jesus, a holy fear of the Lord, trusting Him, submission, a presenting of myself as a spiritual sacrifice, a renewing of my mind, a departing from iniquity, a putting off the old man, a putting on the new man. These and others are the qualities that are characteristic of someone who's walking with the Lord. Don't justify that I'm not this because, well, I'm just not Jesus. I've heard that before. Well, I'm not Jesus, and I'm just not as good as he. You have the Spirit of God residing within you. You have the Word of God that, in, that, <clears throat> that guides us. When we're around somebody that walks with God, we know it, don't we? It's evident. The testimony of that individual is, you know what, they, they're human. We get that. But they have a walk with the Lord. Is that what I have? Is that what you have? Whatever level of understanding Noah had, he had a life devoted to the Lord. We have the Gospels, the entire Old Testament, the New Testament, Romans and other epistles, the Spirit of God, other people to walk beside us. Look at all that we have. We have so much more than what Noah had. And yet him in all of his simplistic devotion to the Lord was characterized as he walks with me. We have all of this that God has given us. 
Use what we have so that the testimony of our life for God's glory, not just so others will say he walks with God, but for the glory of the... Look at what God has done in the life of someone who used to be like this because now he walks with God. Noah didn't have near what we have, and yet God's word says he had a devoted heart. The very thing that God desires you and I have. All of the stuff that we might do all of the stuff that we might learn, all of the activity that we might function with in serving, God desires that our heart be devoted to him. I can have all of that and have not love. I can have all of that and not have a genuine, vital, growing, intimate walk with the Lord. Listen to these expressions of a follower of Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Perfect love casts out fear. Walk in love. Walk by faith, not by sight. Cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Setting my mind on things above in contrast to the things on the earth, and then seeking the things that I've set my mind on things above. Putting to death or mortifying the impure. Putting on fruits of righteousness like compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and more. Noah responded to God with whatever level, whatever form of revelation that he had. We have so much more, and our response should be equal to the information that we have as well. When we have a word from the Lord, we respond with a submissive, repentant, humble heart willing to follow him. Noah responded to God through creation. We know that much because of Romans chapter 1. He knew of God's eternal power and his divine nature just because he experienced and observed creation. He, 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 um, he would have responded to God in the revelation of God that he had received from pre- previous generations. At least storytelling would have happened. He didn't have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but he had nine generations of people who talked about God, and, and, and Adam had just died a hundred and give or take 30 years before him. He had a great-great-grandpa as well. So storytelling would have been a part of it. By Peter's time, Peter characterizes Noah as a herald or a preacher of righteousness. So he had to have some level of content, even though we might not know what level of content that he had. As God, he also responded to God as God clearly communicated with him, yet he still needed to respond in faith. You might ask, you might ask how? How did God communicate with Noah? How did Noah walk with God? Well, he was submissive, he was obedient, he was mindful, he listened, and then he responded. And if it required repentance, he repented. If it required action, he gave action. He knew the specific dimensions of the ark. So it must have been pretty clear. Someone might say, if God were to do that with me, I would obey too. Well, Cain didn't. And God spoke to God, excuse me, Cain spoke to God face to face. The only one in Noah's generation that was considered righteous and submissive to God was Noah. And actually, God has clearly communicated with us. 
while I might not have heard an audible voice, I've got the word of God, don't I? I have everything that he wants me to have from Genesis to Revelation. He might not answer all my questions, but he has all the questions answered that he wanted to answer. I have his word. I have the spirit of God, my teacher who resides in me. I have the body of Christ that's gifted with the gifts of the spirit all around me as well. He has clearly communicated. So what's my testimony? Jerry, what is your testimony? Do you walk with God? And I ask that of you. Evaluate yourself before the Lord. Do you walk with God and let him answer? How do I not walk with you, Lord? How is it that I resist you? How is it that I'm trying to pull away when you're trying to guide me somewhere? We have everything he intended to give us at this, at this particular time. This week, I want you to contemplate and to meditate on walking with God and what it is. And maybe you want to jot these down, but they're really pretty simple. I'd like for you to think about it. I'm assuming, though, I'm assuming that within each one of us as a follower of Christ, there is a desire to walk with God. There is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. That's one of the characteristics of someone who has submitted themselves to the Lord. The normal response for a believer would be not to resist but to desire to walk with God. Yes, we need to mortify or put to death our flesh, but as we're submissive to the Spirit, there's a desire to want to walk with Him. What walking with God is not. Think about that this week. It must not be religious devotion because the Pharisees had that, and they weren't walking with the Lord. They were Jesus' enemy. They crucified our Lord. It's not giving in to the many distractions that are contrary to my relationship, just kind of turning up the music in life so that I don't have to think about the things that I'm doing that God doesn't want me to do, or I don't have to think about the things that God wants me to do that I'm not doing, so I'm just going to turn up the noise or get a little bit busier. That wouldn't be characteristic of walking with God. Psalm 1 tells us what it's not, doesn't it? Blessed is the man who walks not, in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scoffer. So ask yourself this week and think about it. What does walking, what would walking with God look like for me? God, what would it look like for me? Ask yourself, what does walking with God include? And then ask the Lord and be still. What is it that walking with you includes that I'm not doing? Or what, what is it that walking with, God, with you includes that I'm doing something contrary to? Think about some of the biblical examples of people who walk with God. We mentioned Noah. We mentioned Job. We mentioned Daniel. We mentioned Abraham. He, Hebrews 11 is filled with men and women who had testimonies of walking in faith and pleasing the Lord. And then realize this. Failure, failure to walk with God at some point in my life doesn't mean, does not mean I don't get another opportunity to walk with God. That's not who God is. That's not what he does. I don't know when the last opportunity is. And let's be careful because there's a line when his patience is done. And we can find examples of that. But because I've failed in the past or because I failed this past week or because I'm living in failure, right? That doesn't mean that God doesn't give me another opportunity. And I want to read a few scriptures that speak to that, okay? Second Chronicles chapter 30. 
If you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive. He didn't say, return to me and you won't be led captive. He said, if you return to me, those who lead you captive will treat you kindly so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Jeremiah, therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you. You shall stand before me. Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Zechariah 1. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Many of these are about Israel, who has stiff-armed God for a long time, and yet he still gives this this invitation. Malachi, return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Lamentations, this is good. Let us search out and examine our way and turn back to the Lord. Whose task is it? Let me search out and examine my way and return back to the Lord. Don't just pray and hope for some sort of spiritual magic to happen. Let me search out and examine my way, repent, and then return back to the Lord. Joel says this, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rent your hearts and not your garments. Don't rip your clothes. Rent your heart. Rip your heart return to the lord your god for he's gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and we could list many but god gave noah a second chance not noah god gave jonah a second chance didn't he in my distress i called unto the lord and he answered me he was in the belly of a fish and god answered him god gave david a second chance He gave Moses a second chance. Moses didn't want to go to Pharaoh. He made up all kinds of excuses. God God even gave Cain a second chance. Cain, if you'll just do what's right, it'll be fine. But he didn't want to do that. What contributes to a devoted heart that desires to work with God? A high view of and growing in my understanding of who God is. And that's why I'm excited about the book that Josh picked that some people are reading through because it speaks about the attributes of God, knowing God for who he declares himself to be. Not who I think he is or not who some preacher from years gone by says he is, but who does God declare himself to be? That contributes to a heart that's devoted to walking with God, knowing that God is God. He is my creator. He's the one who gives me life and breath. An active, dynamic relationship with my Lord. I put my hand in His, and He takes my hand through His Spirit, through His, and He guides me around in life. It's an active, it's dynamic, it's a relationship with the Lord. It isn't just religiosity. To hell with religiosity. That's where it's going. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. There isn't a convention or a denomination or an ism that has died on the cross for us. But Jesus died on the cross that I might have life with him and walk with him. It's a dynamic relationship. An understanding of the realization that God working in me has placed me I wanted to say in a higher level of relationship, but I kind of don't like the sounds of that. But it has placed me in a unique relationship with my creator. 
That's incredible. That out of all of the people that God looks down upon on the earth, he would say, Noah, I have chosen to favor you. And Jerry, and you who name the name of the Lord, I have chosen to favor you. We have a unique, special relationship. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't open that up to other people, but we have it by the goodness and the grace of God. It isn't because I built an ark or because I preach a message or did something. It's the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God. That's a characteristic of having a heart that wants to desire to walk with the Lord. I'm growing in my understanding about what he has done for me and how he has graced me. Do you know what God has done for you? I mean, I look backwards and think sometimes that I recite. I don't have a Bible verse for this one. But I look backwards and think that sometimes I got pre-grace protection before I even had salvation. That God was just protecting me for the day that I would call upon the name of the Lord and his goodness. Understanding who he is and what he's done for me. A faith response to the things God has asks, asks and requires of me. It begins with salvation by faith and it continues by faith in everything we do. Everything we do. And the reason Noah was righteous before the Lord isn't because he built an ark. It's because he was submissive to his Lord. He believed him and then he acted upon that belief. When we think about Noah or Enoch walking with God, there's a level of the unknown involved. I mean, it was so long ago. We just have a a sentence or two about it. They didn't seem to have a lot of what we have. God continues, though, to desire that we walk with him, and he gives us the path in Scripture for us to roll up our sleeves and understand it. He gives us the tools, his word, his spirit, confession, repentance, submission, humility, and we could go on and on. It's the path to walking with God. I want to finish with Micah chapter 6. You can look in your Bible for that if you want. Micah chapter 6, God's going to his people, and this is what he says to them in so many words, and then I'll read the passage. What have I done to you? How have I wearied you? You testify against, you tell me, what is it that I've done to you, God speaking to Israel? I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. I gave you leaders so that they would lead you as well. Do you remember when Balak, verse 5, do you remember when Balak, king of Moab, what Balaam said to him and how he answered him? And this is what Balak's question was to Balaam. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? And Micah 6, 8 says this. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He wants us to walk humbly with him, doing justly, loving mercy. He's shown us. He's given us the path. He's given us the tools. He's given us his spirit. Will I resist like everyone else in Noah's day? Or will I take the hand of God and by his grace walk with him? He desires that we walk with him. I am confident that as a born-again believer, everyone here who has the Spirit of God has some sort of a desire. 
No matter how much maybe in the past we might have pushed it down, we have some level of desire of being known for walking with God, letting God's testimony be one that this one walks with me. The invitation is there. And maybe you're not walking in the way that God wants you to walk with him today, and you know that, and he's put his finger on that. Or maybe he's calling you to a higher, more intimate level of walk. And if your response is supposed to be, if your response is supposed to be coming to the altar and bowing and praying before the Lord and saying, here I am, whatever it is that you want, I am here, then that's what you should do. Our worship team is going to come. They're going to sing through that last song. And I want us to allow Noah's testimony of he walked with God because of the favor he found with God to motivate us to desire to walk with our Lord as well. Let him have his way in your heart and in your life. If someone seeks to get up and slide out of the pew to be able to come up to the front, you go ahead and let them come up. If there's someone on the worship team that needs to stop singing because you think God's working in your heart, you ought to stop singing doesn't matter whether we sing the song or not the response to what God wants us to do is what he wants us to do the question is do I walk with God in the intimacy that he desires God have your way in Jerry's heart you place your name there as well